Distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Eric. I live in southwestern Florida. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We love checking distros out, new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all of our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we like and what we don't. I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. Well, I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also mention what hardware we are using and might comment on how we think the hardware may affect the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 50, recorded on February 8th, 2024. For this show, we will be reviewing Sparky Linux and Zorin OS Pro. Eric will not be with us today. We also have an announcement. Our website has moved to https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.org, and the site is up and running. Some episodes have not been transferred yet, but we've also added Apple iTunes as a download source. Many thanks to Tony for his management of the previous site, and we welcome Bill Hauser as our new webmaster. <music> Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. What did you do, Dale? The issue with my media server last month was a bad motherboard. I tested the PSU on another computer, and it tested okay. I also tested the CPU in my gaming computer. It booted up fine. That renewed my confidence in the MSI PSU as it is a new venture for them. It would have been less expensive than the CPU with the motherboard being in the middle. So I had another 40-minute trip to Micro Center which allowed some podcast listening since I only listen when I'm in the car. I ended up buying an MSI Pro B550-VC, the uh, ATX size version. There was another revision of this board that Micro Center didn't sell. After comparing them, I prefer the one that I bought, as it had larger heat sinks on the chipsets. I was surprised at the lower price considering it had 8 SATA ports and 6 fan connectors, which is quite a few for boards these days. It costs less than the board I replaced it with, and has more features, so I call that a win. I continued with the work on the server. I added an IC dock hot swap 4 bay 2.5 inch into my 5.25 inch bay on the server. It was a bit of a task because I had to find the correct depth of the screws so they wouldn't interfere with the hot swap bays. That is what you get for uh, using the less expensive plastic construction. I wanted to get the metal rugged edition but it was almost three times more expensive. I couldn't justify the expense since all it's going to do is just sit in the server. It's not like I'm going to be moving the drives in and out, you know, on a regular basis. So the plastic version is fine for uh, my home use. 
You can watch me work on the server in the December 30th Mintcast Roundtable stream on YouTube. I did more work on my Lenovo Tiny M715Q to see why it locked up. I repasted the CPU, which did lower the temps, but they were still too high under load. I searched Lenovo's website, their uh, technical support, using the serial number on the Tiny so I can get specific ones to this, you know, actual machine. I found the BIOS update from last June and an update to the SIO, it's the uh, Super IO firmware. It mentioned an update for the fan controller, which was independent of the BIOS update, which I thought was kind of odd. The BIOS update worked fine. It was an ISO that I wrote to a USB stick. The SIO update oddly required Windows. You know, grumble, grumble. This presented an odd issue. A long story short, I couldn't download the Windows ISO from LMDE with either Chrome or Firefox. I was able to download it using PopOS on my Pangolin. The fun didn't stop there. I wrote the ISO using DD, and it wasn't recognized as an EFI boot device. I tried Popsicle, and it reported it wasn't compatible. I then tried DD Rescue, and it wouldn't boot either on the Tiny. Oddly, the one written using DD Rescue booted fine on my System76 Pangolin, and still diddly squat on the Think Center. A friend mentioned that he always uses Ventoy when it comes to uh, booting Windows from a USB stick. That indeed worked fine, go figure. All this effort to update the SIO firmware on the Tiny. Come on, Lenovo, you can do better than this. I mean, seriously. In any case, the SIO was updated. I remembered that Bill from Mintcast, Linux OTC, and 3 Fut Truckers Podcasts said that there was an update to the Focusrite Solo audio interface. I went and installed the software for it, and it was automatically found. The firmware update was prompted on the first launch of the software and was successful. As a test, I installed a CPU temp applet in LMDE and played about 90 minutes of various YouTube videos. I noticed before the updates, the fan would spin up quite loud about 30 seconds after playing the video. It would increase slowly until the video stopped. Now the fan spin up very quietly and barely noticeable after about a minute. It continues to spin up and slow down at regular intervals. The auto temps are about 30 to 35C with messaging and web browsing around 40 to 45. The temps during YouTube playback was consistently around 45 to 56C, though 60 was occurring a couple times occasionally. It averaged about 50C no matter how long the video was playing because I tried playing some longer YouTube videos. I finished up the test with a 2 hour and 15 minute Skype call. I considered it fixed after that. I recorded episode 49 of Distro Hoppers without any problems, and I had another two and a half hour Skype call this week, so I'm considering this fixed. So, how about you, Moss? Well, good. I've noticed uh, the fan on my tiny wakes up sometimes, but not very often. Uh, but then I've got the uh, Intel version. Well, I made myself available to work after spending the past couple months being home health care to my wife. However, I've had only one day of work since then. I did get a slightly used PineTab 2 tablet to play with. The device is still in experimental status. They should have the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth drivers soon, 
Our friend Bill uh, bought me the dongle I needed for the Wi-Fi, and the system works pretty well. Thanks to listener Jackie for getting me a great deal on this device. I also got my wife's System 76 Kudu 3 sent to Joe for repair. It broke the right hinge, which also damaged the bezel on that side. That Kudu incidentally also came originally from listener Jackie. So I've gotten quite a bit of good out of that, and it's lasted quite a while, and now it needs to be fixed. Let's move on to updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. Take it, Dale. Well, we're going to start off with one of my favorites, Solus released version 4.5. Here are a few of the new additions and updates. They are now using the Calamaris installer, which is a big improvement over their previous installer. Pipewire is now the default replacing Pulse Audio and Jack. They added a package called ROCK-M. It's R-O-C, lowercase m. Version 5.5. It provides GPU acceleration for AMD hardware in PyTorch, Llama, CPP, Stable Diffusion, and others. They updated the kernel to 6.6.9, and it still offers the 5.15.145 LTS kernel. They are now using the Schedule Util CPU Governor and the Bore Scheduler by default. I noticed that some of the uh, Arch distros are starting to use Bore. Budgie 10.8.2, GNOME 45.2, Plasma 527.10, and XFCE 4.18, which will replace their Mate edition. And they will have more news about their transitioning from uh, Mate to XFCE for the people that were on Mate. And they also give the reasoning why of their, of their uh, sunsetting of Mate. And next on the list here is Redcore, release 2401, codename Tarazed. That's what I'm going with. It was resynced with Gen 2 Linux testing tree as of 21. They do it in European parlance here. So it would be the January 21st of 2024. Linux kernel 6.6.13 LTS as default, with 6.1 LTS and 5.15 LTS as op other options. Updates to the Sisyphus package manager, among many others. And Slackle updated their Openbox and Mate editions. They are still maintaining 32-bit in addition to their 64-bit, so if looking for the Ever so uh, decreasing amount of 32-bit distros, slack holes on your list. The Openbox edition updated to kernel 6.1.62 and updates from Slackware's current tree. The Mate edition updated to kernel 6.6.11, Mate 1.26.2, and updates from Slackware's current tree. Also includes Salix tools from Salix and everything I discussed will be linked in the show notes. So, how about you, Moss? I haven't caught up on things very well this month, but I definitely want to mention new versions of Debody, which is Bodhi on a Debian base, both 32 and 64-bit, both currently on Beta 3. I've been using Debody for 64 for a few weeks now, nothing bad to report, just more Bodhi goodness with nothing from Ubuntu. I did need to reinstall Beta 3, according to guidance from Robert Wiley, and I just got that done. When the 32-bit goes final, it will just be called Bodhi uh, version 7 Legacy 32. 
but the 64-bit will continue and will be continued to be maintained, apparently. Things are definitely getting ready for the big reveal in April when Canonical will come out with a full set of Ubuntus for their new LTS. It will be interesting to see what changes as each LTS version comes with new headaches, both for its users and for those of us who use distros based on Ubuntu Core. I'm thinking of Ubuntu Touch, which just recently finally got updated to 20.04 and have not started looking at 22 yet. That could be interesting. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. I was hoping to review Open Mandriva Rock 5 this month. It installed easily and looked great, but every time I tried to do something or open some app or settings box, it took so long to open that I thought my mouse missed the trigger, resulting in me clicking a few more times before it finally opened and leaving me guessing which of my mouse clicks actually worked. After that happened a few more times and confirming with Eric that the same thing happened to him, I started looking for another distro to try. I also had a self-inflicted failure. Firefox wanted me to try its new language and translation plugin. I didn't have a problem with that in principle, so I said yes. Then I started freaking out when Firefox would not allow any keyboard input at all. I removed the language and translation plugin and things went back to normal. Dale? That is an odd behavior. I guess you could say that's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> it's a new plug-in for them. They'll get it. Yep. Well, I didn't have any failures. So, yay for me, I guess. Yay for you. Let's move on to the reviews. Okay, this month I'm reviewing Sparky Linux 7.2 Minimal. I had planned on reviewing something else, as I said in Beautiful Failures. When that flopped, I looked around to see if there was anything new on DistroWatch that I might sink my teeth into. I found this lightweight gem waiting for me. We have reviewed Sparky previously, but a new version is always fun. Sparky is Debian-based, and you've heard my recent successes with Debian 12-based distros. Sparky comes in a wide array of ISOs, from bloat-heavy to minimal to even a version with no desktop, both stable and semi-rolling, and even special versions for gamers, multimedia, and for use as a rescue app. Since most desktops are easy to install on Debian, included in the Debian repo, you can pick just about anything you want. Sparky's devs state that it is not exactly designed for beginners, although beginners are welcome. And boy did I learn that. My hardware. As usual, I use my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P. This computer has a fourth generation Intel Core i7-4710MQ, 16 gigs of RAM, a 512 gigabyte silicon power SSD, with both Intel HD Graphics 4600 and NVIDIA GeForce GT730M graphics. I installed it using the entire disk. Installation ease and issues. I downloaded the minimal version of Sparky, or at least I thought I did. The Windows showing information on the system during installation stated it came with LibreOffice, Thunderbird, Pigeon, and a few other pieces of software I did not feel were necessary for a minimal install. The installer felt like the Ubuntu installer, but had no graphics. Installation was fairly swift, 5 or 10 minutes. They got my time zone right, which not, which not all distros do. And then I rebooted. The boot seemed slow, but it was actually fast. I was just expecting something else to show up on my desktop. OpenBox just doesn't look like a desktop to me. There are only two icons in the taskbar and none on the desktop. Opening the menus and looking around, there are some LX tools in it. Not sure whether that's LXQT or LXDE. 
My first steps would be to remove bloatware, upgrade the computer to current files, and then follow the team's instructions to install Enlightenment Window Manager, except that the bloatware which was promised during the installation was not installed, so that saves some time. Interestingly, Nala 0.12.2 is installed, as is TimeShift, GDebbie, and a couple of other useful tools that I don't often see in minimal distros, but which I would have put in myself if they weren't there. Also, since Enlightenment completely installed from the Debian repo, I didn't have to follow the steps that they posted on the their blog, so I wasted paper printing those out. The kernel installed is 6.1.0-13-AMD64. It also comes with PCMan-FM and Firefox ESR. The text editor is Mousepad. They also have RiseUp VPN installed, which I have completely ignored. There is a system upgrade tool, and Synaptic is also included, along with the prefer apt US apt center. I thought, it, I thought I had set it to dark mode, then apparently it doesn't take across other windows. Well, I had it set right, I just didn't hit the apply button, and that's my fault. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. The upgrade manager is barely graphical and instantly opens to a terminal to do the upgrade. I had 66 packages to download and install. It was not instantly apparent how to turn off the touchpad or how to move to different desktops. Desktop 1 is shown, so there should be more options. I never did find that. Office packages available in the App Center include Calligra, FreeOffice 2021, LibreOffice, MS Online Apps, OnlyOffice, OpenOffice, and WipsOffice. I selected FreeOffice and it installed. I then went and selected Enlightenment Desktop and it installed. Installation was snappy. I installed Kmines and Kmahjong from the App Center, although I could not find Pysol FC or NetHack. I did, however, find NetHack in the Sparky repo and it installed in seconds. I then installed Flatpak, logged out and back in, then attempted to install Pysol from FlatHub. I couldn't find it, so I downloaded it from flathub.org. I tried to install it by double-clicking the icon in my download directory, but that did not actually work, so I opened my terminal and installed it from there. Interestingly, for some reason, Sparky thinks I need to give a password to install Flatpaks. Then I logged out to boot into Enlightenment. While the Openbox manager had a lot of beautiful wallpapers, there were only a few on Enlightenment and I didn't see one I liked. No biggie, I have a few dozen favorite wallpapers saved on my drives. Enlightenment had the desktops, four of them, on my taskbar, so I didn't have to figure that out, but everything was so tiny. I thought my resolution was too small, but I found it was right, 1364 by 768. So I had problems getting my font sizes to where I could read them. I set scaling at 1.2x and it looked good, but cleared as soon as I closed the dialog box. I tried it again, and this time an apply button showed up that I was positive was not there previously. I could be wrong. I never quite got the hang of this installation of E, so I went back to OpenBox to finish my review. I still couldn't find a way to turn off the touchpad. In OpenBox, there is no menu system. You click Applications icon and get a full screen of giant icons of all the programs, and you have to page up and down until you find whatever app you're looking for is called, and there is no search function that I found. Uh, there is a launcher you can open if you know the name of the app. Uh, you can click the launcher, type it in, and it'll launch, but that's assuming you know the name of the app. Ease of use. The system itself is quite easy to use. Enlightenment gave me some problems, as it's not the same as Moksha, but I am trying to work through them, and I, now I gave up trying to work through them and went back to OpenBox. I did not 
check any of the help on the web. I have had a really bad month this month, and I just couldn't get my head wrapped around this. And it's my fault, or the fault of my system, whichever. I am an old man now. Memory and disk use. Gee, Parthead said I was using 18.54 gigabytes of space on the SSD. Free-HM reported 709 megabytes of memory on OpenBox, but it had 1,025 megabytes of memory used on Enlightenment. And that did not make sense to me. Ease of finding help. I have not had much time this month to look for help, which resulted in me abandoning Enlightenment to go back to OpenBox, as stated already, where everything worked and I didn't need to look things up. Play is nice with others. It should play nicely with any Debian or Ubuntu-based systems. Stability, I had no crashes, and it is Debian-based, so there shouldn't be a problem. Similar distros to check out. Just about anything Debian-based will do nicely. Ratings, ease of installation, new user 8 out of 10, experienced user 9 out of 10. It's a little different from the Ubuntu installer, but you should figure it out. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10, ease of finding help, I didn't look, so I'm not rating that. Ease of use, 8 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. My overall rating with OpenBox, it's 9 out of 10. With E26, it's 7 out of 10. Final comments. I really don't feel I gave Sparky a good enough test. I either need another month or another life. I expected it to be among the lightest of distros and amazed that it is not, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. If you do the research and if you like OpenBox or E, you should be fine. They have other desktops available. You can install them with just a couple clicks. I'm clearly not the audience for this distro, and I apologize to the Sparky team. That being said, let's hear from Dale. That is very odd that E is heavier than GNOME. Well, heavier heavier than OpenBox. Didn't you say it was like, like a gig of memory? It was over a gig of memory. Yeah, well, GNOME, I usually get 1,100, 1,200. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I always think of no. But still, enlightenment is light. Yeah. I mean, Moksha, I, when I'm running Bodhi with Moksha, I'm using about 342 megabytes of RAM. Yeah. Yeah. Could I think of Noom as more around uh, 900 to 1200? But yeah. yeah, that it must be widgets or something. That That's. I don't know. I, I did not load that many widgets. I, I only loaded the ones I really knew. Yeah, because 700 for open box is still kind kind of high, but... Yeah, I would think about 300 for that. I was going to say four tops five, but yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> okay, well, what you got for us, Dale? Well, I saw some uh, videos in my YouTube feed of some reviews and hadn't seen many others doing them, so I thought I would take my stab at seeing what the new Zorin OS 17 is uh, doing, because I think uh, Explaining Computers, I think, did one, and I think somebody else, I can't remember. So, I'm specifically reviewing Zorin OS 17 Pro. Zorin OS is a Ubuntu-based distro from Ireland by co-founders Artyom and Kirill Zorin. Thank you. It was started in 2008 with the first release in July of 2009. I couldn't verify which Ubuntu they started on. Given the date range, it was probably Ubuntu 8.04, but I, I could be wrong. 
In June of 2010, Zorin OS3 was released based on Ubuntu 10.04. Zorin OS17 was released in December of 2023 and is based on Ubuntu 22.04. They update every two years and seen attract the uh, even releases of Ubuntu. It is a good bet that uh, Zorin 18 will use Ubuntu 24.04. The goal of Zorin OS is to provide an environment that is familiar to users of Windows and Mac OS. There are three editions available. I did find a four education, but I forgot to look up the details on that. The Pro, Core, and Lite. The Core uses the same GNOME base as Pro without the pre-installed productivity software, additional artwork, six premium desktop um, layouts, and the technical support. The Lite Edition uses XFCE Desktop, which doesn't include Zorn Connect. It is an application available in Pro and Core to connect your smartphone to your computer. It is similar to KD Connect, if you are familiar with that one. Yeah, they upstreamed it to GNOME for GNOME Connect, or G-Connect. Yeah, I heard that. I just never tried the uh, GNOME version. Of course, I haven't tried KD Connect in like six or seven years. I will be reviewing the Pro Edition, as I mentioned before, and I actually paid for it. How much did you pay, Dale? I believe with tax, it was 48 it includes a full suite of applications that are pre-installed, allowing most people to get work done on the first login. So my hardware, well, it's my same laptop I've been using here. It's my Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has an Intel dual-core i5-6200U, 2.8 gigahertz CPU, 14-inch display, using Intel HD Graphics 520, 16 gigabytes of RAM, and a 500 gigabyte Samsung 860 EVO SSD. And I still have my Dell Inspiron 13, but that 13-inch screen is just too small for me anymore. <laughs> We're getting old, Dale. I know. <laughs> I need to get my, my prescription is a year out of date, so I have to get my eyes checked here in a couple months. Installation ease and issues. Zorin uses the older and familiar Ubuntu installer. I will mention the installation-specific questions to Zorin. The grub menu has the options of try or install, try or install with safe graphics, try or install with modern NVIDIA drivers, UEFI firmware settings, and power off which I thought was kind of, I've seen some other distros have that option of powering off, which I think is uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> it's handy, but interesting. And uh, what apps would you like to install once you start in the uh, installation? And uh, the options are normal, includes creativity suite, advanced productivity software, utilities, premium desktop layouts, minimum installation includes, Core Utilities, and Premium Desktop Layouts. Another option is uh, Don't Participate in the Census. This lets Zorin OS developers count the number of users anonymously. And they have the option of using an Active Directory service, which is a uh, Microsoft Enterprise feature for networking. 
post-installation hardware facts and issues. On first boot, the updates that were downloaded during the install were installed without a password. I was prompted to restart after the installation. That is becoming a common thing in some Linux distros. It's more kind of a Windows-esque. A welcome tour opened on the first login. It was a good walkthrough showing how to open apps and customize the desktop options to uh, connect to online account. Using the uh, Zorin Connect to uh, connect your phone to uh, get notifications on your desktop. And how to find and install applications. To access the desktop layouts, you use the Zorin Appearance application. The standard layouts in Core are Windows-like, Touch, Windows List-like, and Gnome Shell-like. The premium desktop layouts in Pro are macOS, Windows 11, Windows Classic, Chrome OS, GNOME 2, and Ubuntu. One thing I think is amiss is that they don't label these layouts. There are graphical representations for each. It is hard to determine which one you want if you're going by the names on the website. With that said, they are very well designed and look very similar to the look of each intended desktop. While in the Appearance app, the settings for themes, effects, interface, desktop, and fonts are available. Theme changes the desktop accent color and backgrounds. Effects enable animations. Jelly mode, which is similar to Pasma's wobbly windows. Desktop cube and spatial window switcher. The cube is a 3D animation for switching workspaces. When enabled, you open the workspaces view. Each workspace is on a panel that spins on the x-axis. Use the mouse pointer to drag it in all directions. You can see the contents of each workspace as if it is floating above it. I think it is mostly eye candy, but it does work. The spatial desktop switcher is similar to the cover flow animation that is available on Windows and other Linux desktops. Interfaces where you can adjust where the window decorations are placed, you know, the, the close, minimize, maximize buttons. You can assign the uh, super key to your preferred function. The choices are Zorin menu, which is the app menu, and the activities view, which is a view of everything on your available workspaces. Advanced window tiling options and taskbar settings. Desktop is where you set options for desktop icons, icon size, and which ones you want shown on the desktop. Fonts, as you may have already guessed, is where you select your fonts. The other settings are the same you would use in GNOME. The GNOME Software Center is used for the GUI package management. All of the Ubuntu repositories are enabled with one specific to Zorin OS. Flatpak is installed and configured by default. Zorin OS uses some Flatpaks from their own repo, so even if you don't want to use Flatpak, well, you still need it. Snap is uh, also installed and configured by default, though there are no snaps installed by default. All three are available in the software center. No need to add in any of the plugins or anything. It's ready to go. Here is a brief list of the pre-installed applications. Blender, Darktable, FreeCAD, GIMP, Inkscape, Krita, LibreOffice, Ardor, Audacity, Handbrake, and Kdenlive. 
Play on Linux and Wine are available to run Windows applications in addition to Lutra, Steam, among others for Windows-based programs. You have to install those separately, but they're available. The kernel version, the ISO I believe was on .14, but it currently is at 6.5.0.17. I'm thinking it was .15 or .14 initially. Gnome Shell version is 42, and you are running the Wayland Compositor. Ease of use. From the time I first logged in, I felt like I can get to work and not need to change anything. That usually only happens when I use Solus Budgie or Mint's version of Cinnamon, though I do like to customize to fit my workflow. If you are familiar with how GNOME functions, then you will be at home with Zorin OS. Where I think there is another miss is the default use of the super key to open the workspace overview. I think it should have been set to open the menu. Anyone coming from Windows would expect that behavior. The menu by default looks similar enough to a Windows 7 or Windows 10 that a person should be able to use it. One nice feature of the workspace overview is you can drag windows from one workspace to another. This may not be that discoverable to the average person. One obvious difference would be the software center, though it is very well organized and shouldn't be a problem. There will be enough functionality differences between macOS and Windows that can't be avoided, though that should be expected when changing operating systems. I never once needed to use the terminal to do any administrative tasks. Some would say having all three package formats available is clutter and unnecessary. I think it is a well-rounded offering. Yes, there are some duplication among packages. Most will just click on the default selection. Those that are familiar with Linux and GNOME Software Center will know how to select apps using their preferred packaging format. One thing that really impressed me was the software updater. The presentation was on the level with Linux Mint. There is plenty of feedback as to what it's doing. It defaults to a bar graph and the current package it's processing. With a drop down arrow that will show you the terminal output of the update, the software updater pops up and provides the following options. Remind me later, install now, and settings. Settings will bring up the updates tab from the GNOME software, where the options for update frequency, checking, download, download and install. After the update, the options of restart now and uh, restart later are presented. It detected that I was using my phone's hotspot feature and disabled automatically checking for updates. There was a prompt for if you want to change this behavior. It's in the uh, network manager. Once at home, it detected that I was not on a bandwidth restrained Wi-Fi network. So I didn't see that message. I didn't test the play on Linux or the wine support. I don't know what success rate a person would have using them given how successful running Windows-based games has progressed. I would think lesser demanding applications should function fines. Of course, that could be famous last words. Memory and disk use. 32 gigabytes of space used using the uh, du-h slash to start in the uh, root folder. 
And That's a lot of space. 32. And that was, I even reinstalled it to make sure that it wasn't anything that I added. That's 32 gigs. 763 megabytes of memory was reported by Free-HM, and I did run it for a few minutes to um, let it settle down. I think it's the dash T, and then you tell how long the uh, intervals are. 30 would be 30 seconds. Well, that's really actually good memory usage for GNOME. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was shocked because I was sort of like 32 gigabytes of, you know, for the disk space. These days, that's not a lot of space, but it feels like it compared to other Linux distros. Oh, yeah. Well, you figure that's that's a Windows install without any applications. Last time I installed Windows, like eight, eight ten years ago. <laughs> but yeah, 763. That... That was pretty good. It did start out at about 800, but it settled down to about 763. Ease of finding help. If you paid for the Pro Edition, then you can receive support directly from Zorin OS. There is also a nice help section on their website. A lot of good topics like migrating from Windows, installation, partitioning, and much more. Since this is Ubuntu under the hood, the Ubuntu forums, Linux questions, and any other Linux forum for uh, Ubuntu distros will work. I didn't need to reach out to their uh, tech support. Let me make a comment here. Linux questions, I have been having some issues. I don't think Jeremy is keeping it up right now. We discussed this at the last Mintcast episode, and um, it is time for them to be releasing their best of 2023, but they haven't even yet asked for nominations. Hmm. And the last thing listed by Jeremy on the website was their best of 2022. Wow. Yeah, that that's not good. Now, hopefully it's just a temporary situation. For the next topic of discussion, plays nice with others. I didn't dual boot this with anything because it's Ubuntu. <laughs> it doesn't have a problem. Other than the fact that it keeps identifying itself as Ubuntu and Grub, even if it's not Ubuntu, Zorin does have documentation on how to dual boot it with Windows, so I'm confident that you're not going to have any any issues unless it's something obscure. Maybe with Arch or with uh, uh, Solus or something like that, but as long as you've got an Ubuntu-based distro to dual boot with, should be just fine. Yeah. Stability. I didn't have any issues with the uh, installation or anything in post-install. It, it is, after all, Ubuntu. Similar distros to check out. Linux Mint Cinnamon, Elementary OS, and Kubuntu. My ratings. Ease of installation for a new user, 8 out of 10. If it's going to be the only OS, it's really just click, 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 click. And even if it's dual booting, Calamaris really makes it simple. Experienced user, that's a 10. Hardware issues, another 10. Ease of finding out, I was going to be generous and just give a 10 because you do find a lot of Ubuntu help out there. Just make sure if you do, check the date because I found some forum entries for 1204. So just make sure that you're at least in the same decade. <laughs> Plays nice with others. I'm going to give it a 10 because it is it is Ubuntu. Stability, 10 out of 10. And my overall rating is a 9 out of 10. 
So my final comments. Zorin OS 17 is a good competitor for Linux Mint Cinnamon. Despite a few misses I previously mentioned, it is a well-designed desktop. Some will complain that the 2204 is too old of a base and is outdated. The problem is with the new and shiny desire is a thing called regression. Not all updates to software are good. There could be serious bugs, features removed, and some added that are not wanted. Reliability is something you want in a distro that you need to get work done with. It is static so you know where everything is and what it does, and for that case, where to find it. You don't open an app one day and find a whole new interface, or worse yet, a critical application that crashes upon using it. Zorin is providing support, and in order to do that, you want the most static, dependable base to uh, support it from. The mitigating factor in the concern over stale, old packages is Flatpak and Snaps. If something really needs to be 100% dependable, use the dubs in the Ubuntu repositories. I personally think this is one of the best releases of Zorin OS. I'm curious about what version 18 will look like and if it'll rebase onto Ubuntu 24.04. I'm considering using this on my T560 in my bedroom for a long-term comparison to LMDE6. And about a week before the show, Zorin rolled out their upgrade from Zorin 17. Since I have 17 sitting around here somewhere, I might want to go through and check the upgrade path on that and report back next episode. Yes, and I also want to point out that it is only for Core and Pro. The XFCE edition is a completely right. different base, so you cannot right. use that update. Well, I, I, I do have the Pro version. They've, they've given it to me in the past for the purpose of reviews. Okay. Zorin and Mint are really close in terms of functionality, but Mint gets out almost a year and a half faster. Yeah, that's why I'm saying it's slow and steady. I mean... I think for newer hardware or somebody that just wants some more recent things, they would want to use Mint, you know, Mint Cinnamon or Mint Mate or any of the uh, spins. But I think the offering from Zorin in like a business environment where you have people that are fresh off of Windows with an IT department, you know, somebody that can walk, you know, walk them through things and they don't have to figure things out on their own. I think Zorin is is pretty good because they're not going to notice the version differences because the only thing they need to know is, well, I have to go in here and type in this report or I have to go in and edit this audio file or I have to go, you know, do this and that and this and that. Yeah. Zorin does great support if you pay for the pro version. If you don't pay for the pro version, you probably will still have really good support because it's so Ubuntu at base and uh, there are Tens of millions of people out there, maybe hundreds of millions, using Ubuntu that can help you with it. We always wonder why it takes them so much longer to come out with it. It's not any smaller of a team than Mint. For that matter, Bodhi came out with their 2204 several months before Zorin did. But nonetheless, it's a good distro. It's easy to use. It looks more like what you're used to things looking like instead of trying to get used to a new desktop format. And I'd say, yeah, it's a good thing. Go for it. Yeah, I'm not sure what polish or what they do to the base that takes them so long either. They upstream an awful lot of their work. 
it's it's amazing when you go up to Ubuntu and look to see where various upgrades and changes came from, how much of it comes from Zorin. Wow. Well, let's move on to new releases. New releases this month from January 2nd to February 8th, Makulu Linux 2024-01-03, Endless 5.1.1, Gnopix 24, Maybox 24.01, Relyanoid 7.1, Hyperbola 0.4.4, LiveRazo 15.24.01.07, Archcraft 2024.01.08, Solus 4.5, Tuxedo OS 2-2024-0110, Hunix 17.1.1.5, Xtix 24.1, Mint 21.3, all flavors, Manjaro 23.1.3, LibreElec 11.0.5, AV Linux 23.1, OpenMediaVault 7.0-20, Pardus 23.1, SDesk 2024.01.18, Sparky 2024.01, Cache OS 240121, Nutix 24.01.0, MX Linux 23.2, Linux FX 11.4.4, Bunsen Labs Boron, Parrot 6.0, Slackle 7.7 Mate, Gnopix 24.1.15, Redcore 2401, Alpine 3.19.1, Endeavor OS 2024.01.25, Open Mamba 20240128, System Rescue 11.00, SDES 2024.01.26, LibreElec 11.0.6, Regatta 23.0.40, Tails 5.22, OpenSense 24.1, Nomad BSD 140R 20240126, Pen2 2024.0, SysLinux OS 12.3, Arco Linux 24.02.04, Bicom System 7.1.0 PBX, Bluestar 6.7.2, Snell 1.31, Clonezilla 3.1.2-9, Archman 2024.0202, KOS 2024.01, Maybox 24.02, Arch 2024.02.01, EasyOS 5.7, Ultimate 2024.02.04, OSMC 2024.02-1, Plop 24.1, KDE Neon 2024.02.08, SmartOS 2024.02.08. I will point out that in Alpha is a brand new damn small Linux which is not so damn small anymore, but computers have grown. Gone from 12 years ago, 50 megabytes to current under 700 megabytes. But it still fits on a CD if anyone's still using CDs. Used to fit on the floppy disk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1.44 megabytes. Boy, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> well, the previous version was 50 megabytes, so that's not floppy-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a zip disk. Yeah, maybe. Haven't used zips for a while, have we? Yeah, I think they were 100 and 250, if I remember correctly. In feedback, we got an email from Henrik Hemren, who I talk to rather often on uh, Mastodon. 
Hello, Distro Hoppers Digest hosts. Now I have listened to episode 49. Someone, I think it was Dale, mentioned a backup tool based on Borg backup developed or under development by the developer of Timeshift, Tony George. In December 2023, I finally moved to Linux as my daily driver after a desire to try Linux for decades and actually tried it for a couple of years. I had decided for Linux Mint as my daily driver, but after reconsideration, I instead went for LMDE. This was a good time to review my backup strategy. For the personal data, I decided to try Borg Backup together with the graphical interface Vorta. Vorta is free and open source and is developed by BorgBase, a company providing off-site backup. I have started with backup to external USB HDDs and considering to add a remote backup, likely a paid cloud storage that supports Borg Backup. So far, I see Borg Backup plus Vorta as a good choice for me, including features like compression, encryption, and multiple backup profiles. I now and then write about my Linux escapades on my website, not at least under https colon slash slash www.hemron.com slash walking dash two dash Linux. There's a link in the show notes. Regards, Henrik Hemron. If some of that didn't make sense, this is not his first language and he's doing an amazing job. And I want to apologize. I didn't reply directly. I had uh, forgotten <laughs> about it. So I'll make my uh, my comments here. So, uh, Hemrick, I'm uh, sorry I didn't reach out to you there. But uh, it was me that uh, mentioned the uh, Borg backup because a friend of mine is a big Borg fan, and I've been meaning to uh, try it. I just haven't got around to it. Vorta. I'll have to add Vorta to the list there because I don't think I have heard Vorta mentioned before that I can remember. Has your friend been assimilated yet? Yeah. <laughs> the Borg. I always wonder where they got that name because the assimilation, like assimilating data, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just a Star Trek fan that won the name after that, maybe. I don't know. Borger King, have it our way. Your way is irrelevant. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got about wrapped up. Anything else to say, Dale? No, I hope everyone uh, enjoys the new website because uh, Bill has worked quite a bit on it. He uh, volunteered. He just came into our group one day and just said, oh, by the way, I made you a website. <laughs> yeah, not only a new website, but it's hosted on the same equipment that is hosting Mintcast, which is in Bill's studio. And he's got us all set up on his uh, next cloud. So we're using Collabora now instead of Google Docs. That's a big step. And he even got Collabora to work better. So we, we've had no problems. This <laughs> yeah, I was going to, that's one thing I forgot. That I was going to tell Bill that, yeah, I typed in everything except for my uh, typos that I was doing a lot of yesterday for some strange reason. <laughs> okay. I didn't have any problems with uh, Collabora being any glitchy and even doing some editing here before the show. Uh, Moss found some uh, of more of my typos and, and stuff, so I wanted to read through it to make sure I didn't... Uh, like that joke I sent you last week about the minister, the priest, and the rabbit walking into a bar. <laughs> yeah, the rabbit, yeah. <laughs> and and they, there was a blood drive at the bar, and they, they're going, well, what blood type are you? And the rabbit says, oh, I'm probably just a typo. Yeah, I like that one. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, for chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group, Discord channel, or email the show at distrohoppers 
at proton.me. We have a new address there, distrohoppers at proton.me. Our website is https colon backslash, or ah, slash slash, distrohoppersdigest.org. Heck with it. Dale? I'm at Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord, and my email is Dale underscore CDL at PM.me. And I want to also point out that Tony has made a blog post on the old blogger site with the uh, new website. So if you've already bookmarked the old blog spot, it will give you all the links to our new site. And Eric didn't make it this time, but you can hear him on Mintcast. Linux OTC, Linux Saloon, Linux Ludcast. I think he might have overcommitted. Uh, I also he also has a YouTube channel, Eric Adams YT. You can reach him by email at ea on Linux at proton.me. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and usually on Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me and I'm on Mastodon as at Zyvola at hosttux.social. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Tony Hughes for managing the website and Eric Adams for audio editing services. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine creators of the song Streets of Santivo uses our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. We'll be back next month and thank all of you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>